Good morning, MRCC. Happy Baptism Sunday. Let it be a day of celebration. the name of Jesus in this place as his church united. Can we declare this this morning? We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. That's right. He opened the prison door. He parted the raging sea. My God, he holds the victory. Can we declare this? Yeah. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. Yeah. It's what we came to do, Lord, to shout your praise. We sing to the God who heals. We sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who always makes a way. Because yeah. he hung up on that cross. Then he rose up from that grave. My God's still rolling stones away. Do you believe that, church? There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. If you've been transformed by his love, we lift these words up this morning. Because we were the beggars, and now we're royalty. We were the prisoners. We're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing. Can we lift it up as His church today? Because we were the beggars. That's right. And now we're royalty. We were the prisoners. And now we're running free. Oh, we are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. We lift our voices. Cause there's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today, yes. And we won't be quiet, no. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord, yeah. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. Lord, there's joy in the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. Oh Lord, our hearts can't contain. Him our praise for his word. Hallelujah. He brings everlasting joy. Yes. Our God is an overcomer. We are being witness to this here and now in this place. The Spirit have your way. Now the darkness fades into new beginnings. As we lift our eyes to a hope beyond Our creation awaits With an expectation To declare the reign of the Lord our God No, we will not be moved When the earth gives away For the reason one is overcome There's an empty grave For the reason 
and now the silence breaks in the name of Jesus as the heavens cry let the earth respond as we respond Lord all creation shouts with the voice of triumph to declare the reign of the Lord our God we declare this that we will not be when the earth gives away for the reason why it is overcome, yes. And for everything, is an empty grave. For the reason why it is overcome, is whatever may come. Know that he's still on the throne, that he reigns over all, and his love endures forever. We proclaim today that he shall reign forever. Strongholds now surrender for the Lord. Our God has overcome. Who can be against us? Jesus, our defender, he is Lord and he. If you're in need of victory this morning, would you lift this up? He shall reign forever. Strongholds now surrender for the Lord. Our God has overcome. Who can be against us? Jesus, our defender. He is Lord and He has overcome. We will not be moved. Yes, church. We will not be moved when the earth gives away. For the reason why it's overcome, hallelujah. And for everything we believe is that there's an empty grave. For the reason why it's overcome, hey, we will not be moved when the earth gives away. worship you in this place. As we are celebrating transformed lives today. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost but he brought me
I am. Church, we have so much to be thankful for. The Bible says that the world does not yet know us as we are, but they will. For when the sun returns, we will be revealed to the whole world as the sons and daughters of God. And that's who we are this morning. Hallelujah. Be seated, would you, this morning? We're going to return to worship in a moment, but this is a special Sunday. That's why the kids are with us here for a little bit. Guys, you can be seated too if you want to sit down. Go ahead. Yeah. This is Baptism Sunday. This morning, over the course of all three services, 15 people will make that public confession of their faith. Eight adults, two teenagers, and some kids will be making that confession before God and before you and me. And here's what I want us to remember before we step into that moment. The Bible says when any person becomes a believer in Jesus, there's a process. Somebody plants some seeds in their life. Somebody else waters those seeds in their life, usually several somebodies. And then eventually there comes that moment where that person receives God personally as their Savior, as their Father. And that's why our faithfulness as the people of God, day in and day out, week in and week out for a lifetime, our serving, our giving, our praying, our forgiving, our love for one another, that's why all that matters. Because God's using all of that to bring us to this moment, to bring me to this moment, to bring you to this moment. Baptism Sunday is a celebration of all the people in these lives that God has used to help them open their hearts to him. And this morning, this public confession is precious to Jesus. He says, whoever acknowledges me before men, before people, I will acknowledge her before my Father in heaven. So it's a big deal. Felicia, you're first. Do you want to come up and join us here? I think we have a microphone. There we go. It's nice and warm, so you don't got to worry about that. It's a little slippery, so don't be shy. There you go. It is. And go ahead and face out towards the congregation. You know, like it or not, this ugly bunch is your family forever, so you're kind of stuck with them for a while. But... My sister, welcome to this moment. Is there anything that you'd like to say? I just have a lot of people to thank for my relationship with God and where I'm at today with that. Um, but most of all, I just have God to thank for opening my eyes and leading me here and guiding me to be here today. So I'm really excited for it, and thank you all for being here to witness. Amen. Cool stuff, sis. Go ahead and be seated. Yeah. Comfortable? Yes. My sister in front of God and in front of all of these witnesses, I'm going to ask you the most important question of your whole life. Ready for that? Do you, Felicia, believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he rose again, and that he's coming back soon? I do. You do, yeah, with some tears. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Here's what Jesus says to you, sis. Whoever acknowledges me before men. I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Amen? Okay. Cover your nose like we did. There you go. Felicia, upon your confession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's forever, That's forever and ever. never gets old. Amen? Amen. Luke, my brother, come and join us. A little slippery, so a little bit of careful there. You're good. There you go. Go ahead and take a look at this underwhelming bunch here because uh, they're us. Amen. My friend, I know that you don't come to this moment without serious thought and reflection. I know that. Is there anything that you'd like to share with us? As, as somebody who's been a Christian for many years, this has been a long time in coming. And uh, what better place than the church that we call home now, the church family, and my dad and my mom and my sister and my wife. 
people who have uh, planted the seeds and watered them over so many years. Just so grateful that you're here today. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff, brother. Go ahead and turn around and be seated. Uh, it's a day you won't ever forget. I'll never forget my baptism. Now, Luke, in front of your Father God and all these witnesses, I ask you the most important question of your whole life. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he rose again, and that he's coming back? I do. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Then go ahead and cover your nose, my brother. Yeah, you can put that other arm up here. There you go. Good stuff. Luke. Upon your confession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's forever and ever. That's forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thanks, buddy. Lincoln, come on and join us. If you know Lincoln, we were a little worried that he was just going to vault out of his chair and jump in here. <laughs> Come on in, buddy. Yeah. And I want you to take a look out at this congregation. There's your mom and dad. <laughs> and this is your family. You believe that, right? Yeah. yeah. Amen. And I know this is a, a moment that you've thought about and spent a lot of time coming to, isn't it? Yes. Good. Would you turn around and sit down there, my brother? And uh, church, you should know something. Uh, Lincoln periodically comes to my office, even at his young age after church on Sunday, and we spend a few minutes talking because Lincoln has felt now for a long time a call of God to be a pastor someday, to be a preacher someday. I've tried to urge him to aim a little higher, but he seems stuck on this, and uh, so that's a really, really neat thing, Lincoln. We're praying and believing God for that. I know your mom and dad are. Hey, buddy, in front of God... And all these witnesses, I want to ask you the most important question of your whole life. You ready for that? Yes. Lincoln, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yes. That he died on the cross for your sins? That he rose again and that he's coming back soon? Yes. I know you do. Here's what Jesus says to you, my friend. Whoever acknowledges me in front of people, I will acknowledge that person in front of my Father in heaven. So today's for everybody, and he's watching you. Why don't you go ahead and cover your nose like we talked about? There you go. And break, there you go. And Lincoln, are you ready to baptize himself here? <laughs> Lincoln, upon your confession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Woo! That's forever, Lincoln. That's forever. Well done, buddy. I'll help him. Thanks, buddy. Garrett, you want to come on up, my brother? <laughs> Garrett and I and all of us, we just had an awesome time at winter camp. Uh, Garrett, is there anything you'd like to share with the church fam? No, thanks. No, thanks. I will share... God has given Garrett the gift of dance. This boy can dance. He gets it. But anyways, uh, go ahead, Garrett. We'll take a seat. <laughs> uh, Garrett, on your, uh, do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died on the cross for your sins, and he's coming again soon? Yeah. Awesome. Hey, man. Well, let's get it done, man. <laughs> Cover your nose, bud. Garrett, by your confession of faith, we are now baptizing you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's forever, friends, and we get to be part of that as we are faithful to serve our Father God. Would you stand as we continue in worship? Let the kids head out. Let's sing together. Let's rejoice. I thought I lost you. Be good, buddy. I'll pray the chasm between us, how high the mountain 
I could not love in desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night and through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul is finished the end is written would you sing to him now Jesus Christ my living hope yes cause that's who he is yes our hope is in you could imagine so great a in this place. So can we proclaim that again in this gospel story, when we hear words like this, we partake in a baptism Sunday, we are reminded that his heart is for restoration, that his heart is to save the lost, to save us who are wandering. His heart is for healing, and that's what we celebrate here on baptism Sunday. We celebrate lives transformed from the inside out. Lord, it is all in your miracle working power, the power of the cross. 
the life-changing sacrifice there on the hill of Calvary, Father. We thank you. We thank you for transfer lives. We thank you that you've adopted us into a kingdom, into a family. We thank you. And as long as we are, have breath in our lungs, we will praise your name in this place. On our lips, Lord, we worship you. Be glorified in this place and prepare our hearts to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. Welcome to second service here at MRCC. Well, you know, we're family here, so would you turn to those around you and make them feel like family in God's house this morning? Yeah. Good morning, friends, and again, welcome to Second Service. It's great to be with you. Special welcome here during the live stream to everybody who's with us online. We're thrilled that you could be with us here as well on Baptism Sunday. It's a great morning. It never gets old, does it? Amen. It's good stuff. God celebrate. You know, Jesus said, there is nothing that causes the angels in heaven to celebrate more than that moment <laughs> like that, that simple confession of faith, and what a neat thing. And again, for those of you who are family members and friends with us this morning for somebody's baptism, you're, you're part of that team. You've played a huge part in God bringing them to the place of faith. So your Father sees you, and we rejoice with you. It's good to be with you. I feel great. My wife came home on Tuesday. She's been here all week. I have clean underwear. It's a step ahead. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm making progress here in life. But no, you got back from the mission field. And uh, the other two members of the team that were still stuck on the field, they will be home on Tuesday afternoon. So hallelujah. Appreciate all of your prayers. They jumped through all of those hope, hoops, so Larry and Brent, who went on a two-week mission trip and ended up on a four-and-a-half-week mission trip, uh, will be home on Tuesday. And, and by the way, wonderful testimonies of what God was doing there. There will be a missions lunch in a couple weeks where we hear the debrief and share a little bit with all of us as a church, but really neat stuff happened there in Uganda. So thanks for, for being part of sending our team as well. It's cool to be here this morning. A couple of things to call our attention to before we open God's Word this morning. Uh, one of those is that in just a couple of weeks, on the 11th and 12th of February, that's a, a Friday, Saturday, that's our Nitro Kids Conference. It's a statewide conference uh, among our fellowship of churches in the Assemblies of God. It'll be happening overnight, Friday, Saturday, up in Renton. And the sign-up is available for that, elementary school kids. So moms and dads, if you'd like to uh, involve your son and daughter in the Nitro Kids Conference, you can contact the church office, go by the guest center. You can use that QR code on the seat in front of you, whatever works for you to, to sign up your child for that great event. Happens every spring. Neat stuff. Contact Pastor Allison and the team for details. And as always, church, um, don't ever let the cost of an event like this be an obstacle to you. If that cost is a challenge to you, please contact your church. We are a family. We will help make sure it happens. We want your child to be able to go uh, or your children to go. So just let us know and we'll work with you to make sure that that happens. But Nitro Kids Conference is coming up in just a few weeks. Take note of that. Also next Monday, not tomorrow, but next Monday will be our, our Band of Brothers men's dinner for January. So that'll be happening here in the sanctuary at 6.30. Uh, be aware of that. And then one last thing, uh, in December, uh, we talked about the whole blueprint idea that um, the, the building of our kids' expansion in 2022, all of that is moving ahead. In fact, the development team this Wednesday will be interviewing contractors at how close to digging dirt we are. Uh, and it's a beautiful thing. It's going to happen this year in, in God's plan. We talked in December about making a special gift towards that. 
And maybe as you've prayed about that, you're ready to make that kind of a gift. That's what the little blueprint card in the seat back in front of you is. Again, you can use your QR, scan to the website, contact the church office, whatever. We're not doing a capital campaign with thermometers and all of that. We're a family, but we're just saying, hey, would you like to be part of giving towards that children's expansion? You can. Whatever you want to give. Every little bit helps. Um, What we talked about in December was that previous generations have built all the things that we enjoy. It's up to us to set up the next generation. And that's what the, the kids' building is about. So you can be a part of that. Contact the office for more details if you want. That's, that's Blueprint. Grab your Bible this morning, if you would, gang, and open it to Romans chapter 2. And uh, you remember, we've set ourselves a tall order this spring. We're going all the way through the letter that the apostle wrote to the church at Rome, 16 chapters of it. It's going to carry us all the way through the spring. We're in chapter 2, beginning with verse 1 this morning. And I want to encourage you, if you're not in the habit of bringing your Bible, get in the habit of doing that. God will meet you in that. Whether you bring an old-fashioned paper Bible like I do, or use your phone or your iPad or whatever, but to have God's Word in front of you as we walk through it, the Holy Spirit will use that. You'll see context. He'll speak to you uniquely and individually. You want to get in the habit of doing that. And then remember what we said. As we grow up in our faith, God wants to bring us to the point where we don't just treat God's word as a reference for whatever's going on in our lives, but we begin to listen to God's word on its own terms. We begin to say, God, maybe you want to talk to me about stuff I'm not thinking about. Maybe you want to take me into subjects and matters that I wouldn't choose on my own. I want to hear from you, God. That's what an expository series is about. And so we're in Romans, uh, beginning with chapter 2. This morning, let me ask you a question, as I very often do at the outset. And last week, I asked this one, kind of personal one. I said, how honest are you? Not not only when it's easy, but when it's hard. (laughs) And we talked about that, and we heard God say that the gospel is really a test of honesty. Everybody knows God is there. The question is whether we will admit it, and God wants us to admit that, and we explored that last week. Now, this morning, the apostle is going to slightly shift the emphasis, and he's going to ask this question, how authentic are you? It's a different kind of honesty. How real are you? How much difference is there between what people see and what they get? How much do you fake it to make it, so to speak? You know, psychologists tell us about a a syndrome in our culture called imposter syndrome, where people feel like they're going to be found out. They're not really who they're pretending to be. How authentic, how real are you? I love what Groucho Marx said. Groucho Marx should be quoted in your life. It's just a godly thing. But he said this. He said, the secret to success is sincerity. If you can fake that, you've got it made. (laughs) How real are you? How sincere and authentic? You know, we all love the idea of being authentic. We love it when somebody else is real with us. But at the same time, We all like to make a positive impression. (laughs) We want to put our our best foot forward. We want to to make ourselves look good. It's just our nature. And sometimes those two desires, the desire to be real, desire to be authentic, and the desire to make a, a good impression, sometimes those conflict in our lives. And they can challenge our authenticity. I love the story about the fresh, out-of-college, young investment broker who, who wanted to make a good impression on his first client in his brand-new office. So when there was a knock at the door on his first day in the office, he put on his headphones and, and invited the man in and pretended to be having a, a serious video conference about investment opportunities. And as the man sat there, he went on for six, eight minutes pretending to have this conversation. And then eventually he hung up and took off his headphones and said, so what can I do for you, sir? The man said, well, nothing, actually. I'm just here to hook up your computer. (laughs) Yeah, the desire to make a good impression can conflict with our desire to be honest and real. And here's the problem. Trying to make a good impression is sooner or later doomed. Because eventually, one way or another, the truth is going to come out, and we're not all good. We all have our challenges. We all have our struggles. And sooner or later, those things will come out. When we try to pretend we're something we're not, it's only a matter of time before everyone knows the truth. 
Jesus talked about this. He said something incredibly sobering in Luke chapter 12. Listen to what our Lord said. He said, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. And what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. Wow, that's heavy and serious and true and real. You know, we live in an age when we kind of have a little bit of understanding of what Jesus is talking about because since the internet has entered our lives, we've come to understand that nothing we do online is really secret. Everywhere we go, everything we say, everything we hear, it's all recorded. We leave digital footprints wherever we go, and we've learned to live with that reality, but that's, that's actually not a new thing. Jesus said it's always been the case, whether we know it or not. And because that's the case, because there's this conflict between our desire to make a good impression, to put our best foot forward, and being authentic and real, because there's a challenge between those two things, it's important that we hear from God about it. And, and that's what Paul begins to talk about in chapter 2 of Romans, beginning with verse 1. Last week we talked about how the gospel is a test of honesty, but being real, being honest, being genuine is just as critical after we become believers because without humble authenticity, without being transparent, what you see is what you get, what, what we do is we end up telling a lie about God. When we pretend we're better than we are, then we subtract the reality that God is giving all of us His grace. And other people need to see that. They need to know that. They need to hear that. And so that's what Paul begins to talk about in chapter 2, verse 1 of Romans. Having shown that the state of our souls and society is a direct result of our dishonesty with and about God, in chapter 1, verses 28 to 32, Paul now challenges first his fellow Jews, but also us through the Spirit, who have a tendency to pretend we're better than we are or that we're better than others. The Jews did that because they were religious. Sometimes we do the same thing. And so Paul says this, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, You, therefore, have no excuse when you pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, Greg, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. In other words, we can lose touch with the truth about ourselves when we're always trying to make a good impression. We can fall away from the reality. We can end up pretending in some pretty scary ways. The Bible in 2 Samuel tells the incredible story of King David who thought of himself as God's man, a godly man, and in many ways was. But he also did some pretty awful stuff. The scripture tells the story of how he got involved with another man's wife and committed adultery with her. And then when found out that she was pregnant, she arranged for her husband to lose his life. Her husband was a soldier serving the king in his army. And David told his fellow officers to put him up front, make sure he got killed so he wouldn't have to deal with him and he could take Bathsheba as his own. Awful story. And yet the amazing part of the story is that King David had lost touch with his own badness, so much so that the scripture tells us when the prophet Nathan came to confront him, he told him a story. He said, King, there was this man who had a whole lot of sheep. He was a rich and wealthy man, blessed in every way, and his neighbor only had one sheep. And this man came and took his neighbor's one and only sheep and made it his own and added it to his own flock. And the scripture, here's the irony, the scripture says King David burned with rage. He said, that's a wicked man. He needs to be dealt with. Bring him here before me. And then Nathan said, it's you. It's you, David, and you don't even know it. Yeah, see, when we seek only to make a good impression we can lose touch with the truth about ourselves. And Paul says, hey, there's a judgment of that attitude coming. Let's talk about that word for just a moment, judging. 
First of all, understand, friends, that, that God doesn't tell us, specifically as believers, but as human beings, He doesn't tell us that, that judging is always wrong. In fact, we are called specifically as God's people to continually and carefully execute judgment. Here's how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. He says, the spiritual man makes judgments about all things. It's his responsibility. That's her calling. But notice what he says, makes judgment about all things. You see, when Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 said, don't judge or you will be judged, in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use will be measured to you. The Lord is making a distinction between judging things and judging people. And as followers of Jesus, we are called to judge behavior and ideas. We say, that's wrong, that's right. That's good, that's bad. Same way we are with our kids. This is okay, this is not okay. This is good, this is not good. But then, again, like with our kids, we don't judge the person. We love them no matter what. They belong to us no matter what. We judge their behavior and their ideas without judging them as people. So we are called to do as Christians, as God's people in the world. We say, well, at least I'm not fill in the blank and make the great mistake of sincerely religious people, which is to believe that we're better than somebody else. But God says, no, you're not. Instead, we have become friends of God by grace. He makes us his family simply because we believe by his grace. That's why the Bible says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, that not from yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast so that we never fall into that habit of thinking we're better than somebody else. We judge behavior, we judge ideas, but never people because we know in our hearts that we're no better than anybody else. I remember when I was playing soccer in college and, and our team was bad. We didn't win a game in three years and we were playing a team down in Salem and uh, I, I played what's called the sweeper. It's the last person before the goalkeeper and, and we were getting beat again and I was getting frustrated again and I thought the goalkeeper has got to stop some of these and so I was the team captain and at halftime I said to the coach, hey, we can't have this anymore. Put me in goal. This guy can't do it. So he did. <laughs> About 10 minutes into the second half, the other team scored a goal right through my legs. <laughs> it's what's called a nutmeg. It's terribly embarrassing. <laughs> After that, I said, you know what? The truth is I'm no better than he is. In fact, he's better than me at this. Let's switch back again. My attitude was restored. God wants us to have our attitude restored about our relationship to him so that we tell the truth about his grace so that we tell the truth about his goodness. Church, we are all sinners saved by grace. And that is the gospel message that we share with the world around us. When we forget that in our desire to make a good impression, what we end up doing is telling a lie about God. We obscure the fact that he's given us grace and make it hard for people to believe that he'll give them grace. Paul goes on to belabor this in verses 2 through 4. Look at what he says. He says, Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? In other words, he knows all. He sees all. Inside and outside. He's aware of your pretending, of my pretending. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience? not realizing that God's kindness leads you to repentance. You know, every parent understands this. We forbear, we're patient, we're graceful with our kids. But our point when we do that is not that they should continue in that behavior. Our point is that they should recognize our graciousness and then respond to it with a changed attitude and changed behavior. And it's the same with God and us. You say, well, boy, I haven't experienced the consequences of my actions yet. You will. God's grace and his patience is designed to bring you to him so that he can deliver you through those consequences. And remembering that makes all the difference in our attitude. Let's, let's reflect on this for a moment. Notice that the Apostle Paul says unequivocally, as Jesus does repeatedly, there will be a judgment of you and of me and of everyone. 
The Bible puts it this way. Man is destined to die and after that to face judgment. Hebrews 9, verse 27. Everybody, this is the clue, by the way, to weathering the daily onslaught of upsetting news that you and I are deluged with. Remember that God's judgment is coming. Nobody gets away with nothing. What's done in secret will be known. And a just and righteous God will undo all that the wicked have done and bring righteousness and justice in the end. Yeah, we're meant to know that, to feel that in our bones. And by the way, it is just keeping this in front of you will make a dramatic and powerful difference in your life. When temptation comes and you know that judgment is inevitable, it's a big help. <laughs> you go, hey, wait a minute. If I walk in this way, there will be serious, I will face God over this. Moses said to the children of Israel, the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. And when we remember judgment, that it's inevitability, that it comes for every one of us personally, not administratively. You don't go up as part of a large crowd, all people between this height and that height, brown hair or whatever. No, no, no. You stand one-on-one -on -one with God. So do I. All of us do. And it's because of that that God also says, Romans chapter 12, verse 19, don't take revenge, but leave room for my wrath. It's mine to avenge, I will repay. When we forget judgment, we are tempted to take matters into our own hands. And all that does is bring judgment on you. Like Jesus said, they that live by the sword will die by the sword. God says, remember that I will judge. Nobody gets away with nothing. I got this. Rest in that and then allow it to steer you through life. Listen to how Paul talks about it, verses 6 to 11. He says, God will give to each person, every person, according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory and honor and immortality, he'll give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for every human being who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. God does not show favoritism. Paul's being pointed there because his fellow Jews would tend to think, hey, we won't ever face judgment. Paul says, au contraire. God judges the Jew and the Gentile equally, every person, all people. Judgment is coming. And then Paul says, understand, it will, and this is really the meat, understand it will be a judgment, not just of the things done, but of the heart, of the attitude, of what's going on inside of me, as well as what's going on in my life. That's why he says in verse 5 of chapter 2, because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. We, we all as parents know the difference between behavior and attitude. Somebody say amen, right? Your, your kids can do what you tell them with the wrong attitude and you are not satisfied by that because you're seeking to shape the attitude as well as the heart. I love the story about the, the mother who heard a scream from upstairs in the bedroom, and so she goes up the stairs to find her, her toddler son and, and her younger toddler daughter, and the son's crying, and the daughter is laughing, and the mom says, what happened? And the boy says, she's pulling my hair. Mom says, oh, honey, you can't do that. And then she says to her son, she says, I understand, honey, she, she doesn't know what she's doing and she didn't mean to and you got to forgive her. And she gets the situation calmed down and she leaves the room. She doesn't make it halfway down the hall. When there's another scream, she runs back into the bedroom and the boy's got a hold of her hair and says, she knows now. <laughs> attitude. God judges the Attitude. That's why Paul says, when you, a mere man, pass judgment, you are betraying an attitude. You have forgotten that you have received grace, that you're no better than anybody else. And when you forget that, then your attitude goes sideways. A friend of mine shares the story about his, his next-door neighbor. They live in another city, known him for many years. His next-door neighbor was an attorney, a, a prominent attorney in the city where they live, and and yet, as they kind of got to know each other a little bit, he, he dis found out that his neighbor, this attorney, had a little bit of a reputation in town because he would never, ever do any legal work pro bono. You know what pro bono is? It's when you do it for free. 
Most attorneys will do a certain amount of legal work for free because they recognize that not anybody, everybody can afford it, not everybody can pay. There's certain situations they want to be helpful in. Most attorneys do some, if not a lot, of pro bono work, but my friend's neighbor didn't. Never. Not once. If you couldn't pay, he wouldn't serve you. And my friend was kind of bothered by that, knowing that about his neighbor and it wasn't until a decade later when he went to his neighbor's memorial service that he learned that his neighbor actually made his livelihood by online day trading. That his legal work was actually a sidelight in his life and that in fact, the only reason he had a law office was because every penny earned through the law office went to support an orphanage in India. Why wouldn't he not do anything legal for free? Because the orphanage was the beneficiary. And suddenly everything looked different. God says he's going to judge our attitudes, not just our behavior the way it appears to others or even to ourselves. Suddenly my friend's attitude about his neighbor totally changed. Paul says a judgment of my attitude is coming. Am I humbled and authentic enough to admit that I'm no better than anybody else? And to make it obvious that I've received God's grace, only when I do, do I tell the truth about it. So in verse 4, again, do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that those things are meant to lead you to repentance, to a change of mind, to a different attitude? See, this is what we've got to grasp. Only when we do, do we tell the truth about God. And here's the thing. You see, God's standards are higher than mine. God's standards are higher than yours. The mistake the Jews would make would they would think God's standards are only this high, then see themselves as meeting them under the law, and so, hey, we're good people. We're better than the people that don't. Paul says, no, friends, you must understand God's standards are way higher than yours or mine. I love how Tony Evans illustrated this. He said, you know, I may consider myself to be a perfectly adequate model for clothing. I may think that clothes look good on me. And I go to the modeling company. I say, hey, I make myself available here. I'll work for you. I'll be a clothing model. He says, the, the, the modeling company responds this way. You don't meet our standards. <laughs> you're too fat. You're too ugly. You're too old. You don't meet our standards. We are looking for a much higher standard. Tony says, I've, I've got to own that. I've got to understand that. I've got to realize it. In the same way, God's standards are so much higher than ours. You know, when I offer to fix something around the house, I encounter the fact that my wife's standards for fixing things are much higher than mine. You know, I said to her while she was gone, hey, I got this project in the bathroom. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this project in the bathroom so that when you come home, it'll be all done. And there's kind of a silence on the other end of the line. And she says, honey, I wish you wouldn't. <laughs> I say, why? I can do this. Yeah, but you can't do it to my standards. Let's have a professional come and do it. And all of a sudden, I realize there's a difference there. In the same way, God wants us to grasp that his standards are much higher than my own. And once I understand that, then my attitude about the grace he's given me changes as well. You know, I remember when I worked in the emergency room, when I first got into the ER, I had wanted to get there for a long time. I was in the military, and you had to kind of earn, go through a process. And I had finally earned my way to the ER. And I got there, and the first week, I was pretty overwhelmed because the ER is different than the, the surgical or medical ward. Up there, when you get a patient, you already know their situation. You already know the diagnosis. There's a treatment plan. You're just going to carry it out. But in the ER, everybody who walks through the door is a whole brand new story that you don't know the diagnosis of and you don't know the treatment. And you've got to figure all that out. And suddenly, it's really intimidating. And when I first got in there, I felt that. I was like, oh boy, I'm in over my head. I shouldn't have done this. I'm in the wrong place. But they had a wonderful program in there where because we were military medics, the doctors wanted to train us in the field. So they would involve us in their process. So they would see a patient, examine a patient, and then they would go into the back room. And I learned something. I learned what's going on in the back room. Two or three doctors sit together. They look at each other. They say, well, here we've got this patient. Here's the story. I examined him. Here's what I got. What do you think? What do you think's going on? The other doctor, I don't know. What do you think? And then they start this discussion. They start ruling things out and helping each other. And I got to peek behind the curtain and realize the doctors are just people like you and me. They're in the process of learning to do their best 
But they're in a process, just like you and I. And then all of a sudden I thought, oh, I could be in that. I could learn. I could be a learner. I have something to offer here. And my whole attitude about my ability to participate changed. That's what God wants to do with us. He wants us to understand that when we share how God has given us his grace, then we tell the truth about him so that other people can know that he will give them his grace. You see, gang, we're almost done. What separates people from God isn't just sin, it's sinfulness. It's the attitude that goes on inside of me. This is why Paul in verses 12 to 17 says, all who sin apart from the law, that is from knowing what they should do, also perish apart from the law, because it goes deeper than just the, the deed. All who sin under the law will be judged by the law. If you know and you don't do, well, that's cut and dry. It's not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. See, the Jews said to themselves, hey, we've got God's word, we're better. Paul says, not if you don't do it. Not if you don't learn it. Not if you don't even know what you don't know. He says, no, 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 it's the doing that makes the difference. Indeed, when Gentiles who don't have the law do by nature things required by the law, they're a law for themselves, even though they don't have law. They're doing the right thing either way. Uh, since they show that the requirements of the law are written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, thoughts now accusing, now defending them. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets. There's that idea again. Through Jesus Christ is my gospel declares. In other words, God's looking for my attitude. And it is my attitude that tells the truth about him. My authentic, real attitude as a person who've received grace. The Jews thought that knowing right and wrong is the same as doing it. Paul says, uh-uh. And he goes on to explain that. Look at verses 18 and following. If you call yourself a Jew, a child of God, and if you rely on the law and brag about it because you know what God says, brag about your relationship to God. If you know his will and approve of what is superior because you're instructed by the law, if you're convinced that you're a guide for the blind and a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have in the law the embodiment of truth, you who teach others, do you teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you rob temples? You say, I would not be a thief, but I haven't submitted my financial life to God. I haven't honored him as the one who provides for me. So I'm just as much a thief, but I don't admit it. You who say people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery in your head, in your heart, online, even though you don't do it physically? God knows. You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who hate superstitious lies about God, do you ignore the truth about him? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? You get the idea. As it is written, and here Paul says something incredibly hard to his Jewish brothers and sisters. He says, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Ouch. Israel was called to be the people who shared the good news of God's love and grace, his truth. But instead, they had become an obstacle to that truth. And as a result of their attitude, God was being blasphemed, cursed, reviled, instead of responded to. And the same thing happens today when our attitude, like King David's, betrays the truth about us. So Paul says to the Jews at the end of this passage, verses 28 and 29, he says, a man is not a Jew if he's one outwardly. A woman is not a Christian if she's one outwardly. No, a man is a Jew if he's one inwardly. His attitude, his thoughts of his heart, his recognition that he's received the grace of God. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. It's about attitudes. Why the prophet said, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So the gospel is about being authentic about myself because that tells the truth about God's grace. You know, over the years, I have been incredibly, uh, I've incredibly admired my wife's wonderful way of doing this in the workplace. In every workplace that she's been in, she has a knack for gentling people and opening their hearts to the gospel. And the reason is because they very quickly pick up, there's no part of her that thinks she's better than anybody. Oh, you're the pastor's wife. Yeah, just like you. <laughs> she's as ordinary and everyday as everybody else. And because of that, people begin to say, well, gosh, if you can have a relationship with God, can I? Obviously, you know him, and you're no different or better than me. Could I know him as well? You see, that's the power of the gospel when we're authentic. Let me finish with a story this morning. It's a story 
that Jesus told, and it brings this point home. You can find it if you want to in chapter 18 of Matthew, but I'm just going to thumbnail it. It goes like this. Jesus said there was a man who owed an enormous debt, <laughs> 10,000 talents of gold. That's decades of income. And he owed this enormous debt to a master, and the date when the bill was due came around. And he was called before the master. And the master said, hey, you owe me this. You've made all these charges. You've taken all these issues. You've, you've built up this debt. He says, time to pay it off. The man said, I can't. I can't. Please don't sell my family into slavery to pray the debt. Please don't throw me in prison. Please have mercy on it. If you'll just write a new contract with me, I'll spend my whole life paying you back. I can't today but I will do everything I can to pay you back. And, and the master, the Bible says, took pity on him. He said, you know what? Let's just cancel the whole thing. Let me just set you free of that college loan, your mortgage, your car bill. Somebody say amen. Let's just wipe the whole thing clean. Credit cards, you name it. We'll just make it all clean. We're not going to refi this. We're just going to give you a clean slate. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> the guy walked away free. But then the scripture says he had a couple of people who owed him a little, much smaller, tiny little debts. One of those people came to him and said, man, I'm sorry. I, I'm in bankruptcy. I can't pay what I owe you. And the servant said, well, you charged the bill. You made your bed. You lay in it. You got to pay me off or I'm selling you into slavery. Scripture says that the master in the story found out about this. And he called that man in and he said, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours. I canceled it. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant doing just as I did with you? Wow, that's convicting. And that's what God is saying to us. See, we said at the beginning, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you remember all the mercy and grace God has given you, your attitude is changed by that. And other people are able to see the God who gives grace through you. And that's what it's all about. So let me invite you to set aside the desire to always make a good impression. Yeah. Just let the impression happen. Instead, aim to be authentic. Aim to be real. Aim to be honest. Aim to be transparent. And God will meet you in the middle of that. Who needs you to know? Let me close with this. Who needs you to know that you've been given God's grace? That he gave it to you freely? That you have it forever? That you live in it today? Who, your kids probably the most significant engagement I had with my teenage son as a son was when I sat with him and confessed how God had given me grace in my life. Suddenly he's looking at me. You mean you're not Superman? No. Nope. Who needs you to know the grace that God has given you? Can I invite you to close your eyes, bow your head with me as we close this morning? Lord Jesus, we have inside of us this desire to make a good impression, to feel like we're better than we are. You invite us to look beyond that. First, so that we would know your goodness and your grace, so that we would know your kindness and your patience towards us. And then, so that other people could see that in us. So that those at work, at school, in our home, in our neighborhood, so that they could see the grace you've given us, so that they can believe. Dad, we pray that you would help us to know that your judgment of all things is coming, your grace is real, and to live in the attitude that flows from that. We pray for that. And we ask it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, friends? Yeah. If the parking lot was a little crazy when you came in after first service, that was my fault. I just blabbed on like nobody's business in first service, so I apologize to you for that. It's all about the attitude. Now may 
the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon. to run cause you're right.